0: what's up everybody welcome to draft chaff this is episode number 81 my name is zach i'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual ben fisher how's it going dude
1: So do you want to talk about that intro?
0: (laughs) It went perfectly. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm sure the best version is is currently in uh, and is being listened to by the listener right now through the magic of editing. And, you know, if we slip up here and there in this episode, please don't blame us. Uh, We haven't done this since last year, so, you know, we're a little rusty.
0: (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, this week, we are starting off the new year. It's at the time of recording, January 5th, but we're in the first week of January here, and, you know, that kind of means that we've got some resolutions to work up. It's, it's that time of year for it. Everybody's looking to build new habits, set new goals, and we've got some, some resolutions that we'd like to throw your way and uh, see if you can't work on these along with us throughout the year. But, of course, before all of that, our usual housekeeping you're not already in it we do have a discord community which is growing steadily and has been a great pleasure for both ben and i as well as a lot of the folks who are in there so if you haven't checked it out we really encourage you to do so you can find the link to that discord server in our episode description as well as on our twitter page and if you want to support the show directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod huge thanks to all of our patrons that support us in our content creation each week we are beyond grateful for all of you and the continued support that you've been giving us Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, Draft Chaff stickers, our show notes, unedited recordings of the show with some post-show banter and of course we also send out our draft shaft hero cards signed by us to you for the set that you signed up to the patreon so check all that stuff out again at patreon.com forward slash draft pod and because it's january that means that our fundraiser for direct relief has ended it's official from december 1st to december 31st we were counting our downloads and donating a quarter for every listen that we got we had a total of 983 downloads for the month which means that we're donating $245.75 to direct relief so thank you all that is 100% because of you guys listening and we really appreciate all of the hours spent listening to the show throughout the year so thank you so much for that and we'll post something more official with the actual like donation page or whatever when we do that and if you're you're welcome to to join us in that donation and, and donate anything you can to Direct Relief, I'm sure
1: they're going to be using it here in the new year. Totally. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our nonsense. And uh, I'm glad we've, we've found a way to convert people listening to our uh, tomfoolery into, well, Direct Relief, <laughs> as it were.
0: All right. So on to our Cracker Draft type thing. Ben's got a wacky one for us. W- what you got? All
1: right. So this is a pack two pick one I want to talk about. Pack one was a mess. This was a rough draft. Uh, it, it was a bit of an unfortunate open. Uh started by taking a hero's downfall over, I think it was like a rare land and a bunch of junk. And then things just didn't really pan out from there. Got some stuff like Flourishing Hunter, Sporecrawler, Weaver of Blossoms uh, were some of the early picks. A holt Raconteur, and a Vampire's Vengeance. But I was quickly cut on red. And I wound up in this black green pile, which, you know... I never thought I'd say this, but I am not happy to wind up in black green in this case. Oh, please. Uh, You've been saying that for over a year. I, <laughs> black green used to be my, my go-to thing. You gave me a black green deck, I'd trophy the tournament instantly. But I don't know. These days, just the sets, that they don't crack the same. I did pick up an Ancient Lumber knot, so I was, I was starting to go in on that. I even picked up a very late uh, Unhallowed Phalanx, so I was going to try to pull off the old one-two combo. Uh, and then some random junk, Massive Might, Vampire's Kiss, Blood Servitor, Sheltering Bows, that type of thing. So, pack two, I'm looking to hopefully pick up some things and go in a better direction. Very low on removal right now, just the Hero's Downfall and the Vampire's Vengeance, which it's not looking like I'm going to be able to play. So, let's run through this pack two real quick. I got an E Wilds, uh, Undying Malice, Spore Crawler, Scattered Thoughts, Piercing Light, Persistent Specimen, Nebul Ghast Beguiler, Cradle of Safety. Blood Petal Celebrant, and Binding Geist as my commons. Anything jump out to you?
0: Nothing's like extremely jumping out. I mean, the Spore Crawler is just an auto include in pretty much every green deck, so I'd be happy to scoop mm-hmm. that up. The Persistent Specimen I've seen actually fit into a lot of black decks. I'm not sure that this is one of them. You don't seem to have really any ways to take advantage of it coming back from the graveyard or being sacked repeatedly. So, I mean, outside of maybe the mill stuff that you kind of have going on, but I'm not really thrilled by that. So, probably Spore Crawler for me at this point.
1: Check out our uncommons. We've got Laid to Rest, which I do love in the green-white humans deck. Uh, pretty far off of it right now. Honeyman Hearse, which, have you ever cast this? It doesn't seem that bad. I just feel like I've never played it.
0: I actually have. It was pretty mediocre in the deck that I put it in, and that wasn't the card's fault necessarily. It just was like a 23rd card, and I, I needed to have something there. But I haven't been overly thrilled with it overall.
1: I feel like if you have multiple epicures, then it could be good. If you have like two to four epicures, then this is probably a lot better. That way you can leverage those smaller creatures because the smaller the creature, the better this gets, right? Exactly. It, it, the less it hurts you to tap that creature. If you play a 2-2 two, two, and then this and then a 4-4, four, four, like are you ever tapping both of those to crew it?
0: No, right? Yeah, not really. I mean, maybe a turn depending on the order that you played these things so you can leverage the summoning sickness into something that actually can do something. But then beyond that, no,
1: not really. Last Uncommon is Cobbled Lancer. It's the one blue zombie horse, the 3-3. Three, three. Cool card. I really like it in some blue decks, but again, pretty far away from it here. It's probably still in the Crawler at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I have some good news because there's a bomb in this, and uh, it's Edgar. Edgar Charmed Groom. one, uh, Sorry, the two white-black 4-4... Four, four, Uh, vampire lord that if it dies, it flips and then starts pumping out more vampires and then flips back and then just... I mean, most people just can't kill this. Some people scoop to this on site. It's an extremely difficult card to deal with in
0: this format, and it might be partially off-color, but you absolutely splash this anytime you can. I mean, there's just not... It, sure, it's a vampire lord, and you're like, okay, I'm not playing very many other vampires. It just doesn't matter. It's an in, it's it's a four four that literally what maybe ninety to ninety five percent of decks can't deal with properly, and. Yes is just going to cause a ton of problems for your opponent. Uh, yeah, I just auto-slammed auto, auto slam this.
1: Yeah, uh, I did actually take it here, and I ended up... <laughs> I told you before I even started the, the, the show this week, but I ended up taking Edgar. I actually wheeled the Evolving Wilds, and I picked up another Evolving Wilds this pack. And uh, in pack three, I opened Halana and Elena. And you bet I slammed that too. <laughs> this ended up being... Uh, a deck where 99% of the power level was contained within two of the cards <laughs> and they they weren't even of the primary colors.
0: Yeah, that's typically what I would what I would call a bad deck. <laughs> uh, oh you yeah. Know, oh, how yeah. many games did you draw them?
1: Well, that was the thing. So the, <laughs> the games where I won, by definition, we're in fantastic fashion. Because the only way this deck can win is through some over-the-top nonsense. Uh, one of my wins came from... I actually had a Catapult Captain that I picked up later on, too. I was able to cast Talana and Elena uh, to put a bunch of counters on... I think it was some... Like, the 2-2 Wolf. And mid-combat fling it in my opponent's face... Uh, for the win after using the Halana and Elena counters to grow it so it had enough toughness. It, it was it was an amazing uh win. But then some of the times I just drew stuff like uh, sheltering bows, which I had to play. Ugh. Sheltering Bows, Unhallowed Phalanx, Lumber Knot against these very tight red black decks, and it just it was it was an embarrassment. I went three and three and like I said, the three wins were so good, the three losses pretty brutal. Coming out of the draft,
0: what what did you expect record wise for this deck? i'm
1: not going to answer that question (laughs) oh no i'm just curious if you did better or worse than you expected i thought this deck was awesome i was i but then again i've gotten to the point in the format where i am willing to try the stupid stuff i i I fully expected to get five to seven wins out of this pile Uh, because it did work i i will admit one of my games was a loss due to flood Uh, I didn't actually lose due to Screw at all. Um, I ended up playing the Weaver of Blossoms. I played a copy of the Artifact Out of Any Color, and I had two Evolving Wilds. So that's, what, like five-ish sources of each of my Splash Colors? Pretty pretty respectable, especially because I was splashing two things, and my splash things worked for everything.
0: Yeah, my my worry with a deck like that is not actually in the splashing. You seem pretty well equipped to do the splashing. My worry was just that the power level was so heavy, heavily contained in in so few cards that like if you never drew them, what is your deck doing? Oh, nothing. Absolutely, right, so. <laughs> so that cold. was that was my worry. Green, but black, I was just curious. Nothing. Right, that was my worry. I was just curious if that uh, ended up causing you to think... Like, if you were thinking along the same lines when you drafted it, or if you were just like, these bombs are going to carry me and it's going to be fine.
1: Yeah, I, I was kind of hoping to get lucky. And honestly, I don't think I could have done better in this seat. This was the deck that I wound up in. I was clearly supposed to be in green black. I, I got past the stuff in green and black. It's just that the stuff in green and black isn't as good as the good stuff, in, or even the mediocre stuff in some other colors. I would have taken a mediocre red-black deck. I would have even taken a bad red-black over over this. If you're telling me that it still has uh, Falconrath Celebrants and a few Epicures of Blood and some Blood Petal Celebrants, I probably would have taken that over this, even without the, the spikes and power level. All
0: right, with that, on to our Teferi Tybalt. This is a Roses and Thorns-style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, Teferi Tibble.
1: Well, I'm going to start off with my Tybalt. School is rough right now. Uh, I went on a a tirade at you before the show, kind of catching you up to all the nonsense. But finding out that some of the people in charge just really don't have the, the best interests of the students and staff in mind is never a pleasant experience, especially when that involves rapidly increasing COVID cases, people getting sent home, general disdain and scorn from the, the people in charge. Not a good time. Those that are teachers that are listening, I'm I'm sure you know the nonsense. Everyone seems to have to deal with it at some point or another. But I, I will say here in America, we have a particular brand of, of uh, garbage that goes on in our in our school systems. So uh, it's always a good time, right? Sounds like it's uh, an awful time, but <laughs> <laughs> sure, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that that that's close. That's what I meant. But not everything is bad. There are there are silver linings. For example, uh, I have to shout out the organization Magic Kids. Just absolutely fantastic. I, I found out about them from the professor at Tulare Community College. Made a whole video about it, talking about how they create these packages of goods to send to a school and then you basically just have to request it. You, you tell them some information about your, your school and if you have a club or not, that type of thing, whether it's trying to start a club or trying to help an existing club. I got my package for them, and uh, it's incredible. They sent a huge case of cards. A lot of a draft chaff, but, you know, that's, that's what we're looking for anyway. To help make students decks, they sent a huge thing of lands. Uh, they sent a bunch of deck boxes, like flip magnetic ones. Really good stuff. Probably like... 2000 sleeves more than we could ever use and uh, a ton of information on uh, different formats how to play stuff like that spin down life counters dice sets the 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 container really just had it all also remember that format Oathbreaker that that Mm. was around for a little bit you'd pick a what was it a planeswalker and a an instant or sorcery and you could cast both from your command zone using like the usual commander rules yeah, it was like was an actually,
0: Commander variant. I never played it myself, but I am familiar.
1: Yeah, that was created by these folks, the, the ones oh. that are uh, in charge. Pretty cool. So they had like an insert about it too, uh, which seems like a, another cool way to get students into things. So uh, overall, just really got to shout them out. If you're a teacher listening to this, seriously, just go on, order it, start a club, or give it to the existing gaming club. There's really no reason not to. Uh, did I mention this is free? Like I didn't pay a penny for this. It, I, I have no idea... How they pull this off, but um, I'm planning on tweeting at them and, and and showing off some of the the stuff that we got from them too. Just honestly, great organization, definitely worth checking out if you're uh, if you're able to.
0: Yeah, that sounds sweet.
1: And of course, today was mail day. I finally got the last few pieces for my modern deck. So, Zach, spirits, uh, it's going down. Stone coming for you. Sure. Anyway, over to you. All right.
0: Yeah, right. So my Teferi this week is that my vacation is underway. Finally getting to that. It's been kind of pushed off a little bit due to the way some of my contracts with work were shaking up, but finally able to take the time and uh, enjoying it quite a bit. I went down to see my parents for a little bit. Just missed Ben. We were like kind of passing each other because we grew up in the same hometown. But yeah, I went to see them, got to spend some time with the family. That was great. Very relaxing and now I'm back home, still maintaining some productivity. Happy to be doing that I'm working on some content planning. Ben and I will probably do some sort of meeting in the next week in terms of content planning for the show. Yeah, so so feeling pretty good. Um, I've been using this app called Streaks. I'm not sure if it's available on Android, but it is available on iPhones. And um, it's basically just a way to help you track maintaining different habit streaks. And it's been really good for me. I've been using it to try to get some of my I'm not really trying not to focus on goals this year, but more focus on putting processes in place that will eventually reach certain goals and like enjoying those processes so that I don't stop them. And this app has been very useful for me in terms of making sure that I'm continuing to do that. So that's been pretty cool. I'm I'm happy to be doing that. One that I'm not tracking so well is that I need to eat better. Um, So I'm working on that as well. But overall, been a very productive vacation. Still have a good bit of it left. So I'm Excited to see where that ends up. My Tybalt, though, is that despite the vacation, I haven't really been playing much Magic lately. And I've noticed my in myself that this is something I get to basically every set. There's a certain period where, like, I'll play a good bit of, of the format and then I'll just stop playing it entirely. It's not even, like, one draft a week or whatever. It's like I just stop until the next one comes out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not even sure how many drafts I'm doing these days before that happens, but it's not very many overall, if I'm honest with you.
1: Maybe that's some kind of indicator about the quality of the sets or your enjoyment of them. Could be. Let's see. It looks like
0: I did a total of 18 events in Val. Two of those were the open and uh, one of them was a sealed. So basically about 15 drafts uh, besides the opens. So yeah, that's fine. I guess a little over a dozen there probably should be a lot more. But (laughs) given (laughs) that I make content on the stuff, but (laughs) it's Eh. okay.
1: I'm actually lower on this one too. Uh, it looks like I've done 50 events, which, not bad. 50 drafts or sealeds or whatever. This is between quick draft, traditional draft, premier drafts. I guess sealed is factored in here too uh, by how 17 lands sorts it. But honestly, I have, I've pretty much stopped with Vow too. This, this nonsense draft that I was talking about earlier was the first one that I've done in like two weeks or so. Honestly, the decathlon kept me busy. And if you want something to mix it up, I have good news for you. vintage cube. Give it a shot. It's really, really fun.
0: (laughs) I still have not done the Vintage Cube, even though I've watched a lot of content on it. I I probably should give that a shot.
1: Mono White and Mono Red are two pretty easy ways to trophy. I personally tend towards the green ramp decks, and if you really want to go deep, you can draft Storm or these artifact piles with Tangle Wire and Winter Orb and all this just disgusting stuff that that should never see play but people can do it anyway just if you if you really just want to brutalize your opponent and make them wish they hadn't clicked the play button that there's archetypes for you too so that I, is I my preferred method to, of magic yeah <laughs> yeah i mean give it a shot plus uh if you've never actually cast a black lotus in limited before and played like a turn one gideon or something like that uh you're missing out it, it's a pretty great time Oh, what am I talking about? Uh, I, I should be tempting you with a turn one Jace the Mind Sculptor, which is the thing you can actually... What if I told you in Vintage Cube you can cast the turn one Jace the Mind Sculptor with Counterspell Backup? All right, now you've got me. <laughs> like, if that's not I'm trying to sell you on the limited experience... Plus, if you make a brand new uh, Magic Online account, I think you pay $5 to, like, authorize it for, like, online competitive play, and then it just gives you an entry, uh, from what I recall.
0: Interesting. I do already have an account. Maybe I got one anyway but i can look into that
1: yeah i think every existing magic online account got a vintage cube entry token for the the holiday season so i don't know so it sounds like a uh, an option yeah i'll definitely have to look into that
0: all right on to our listener question of the week and our question this week comes from batwheels batwheels asks how many drafts does it take for you to feel quote-unquote comfortable with a format i always feel like it like it takes me more drafts than everyone else 10 plus to get a basic understanding of all the cards and where they should be ranked hmm. yeah this is a good question
1: Yeah, uh, I don't think I could put a hard number on it. I think it definitely depends on the format. Some formats I find myself, I guess, cracking the code on easier than others. Plus, it depends on other factors like how much content I'm consuming for that certain format. The intensity of the format, something like M21 or AFR being, I guess, less complicated formats than something like, I don't know, geez, Caldheim or or Strixhaven or uh, honestly, even Val. I would probably say it takes me somewhere between 20 to 25 to really feel like I know that I'm making all correct picks. And I would almost put this in terms of time rather than in terms of number of drafts. I feel like maybe about two weeks into the format, people tend to feel as though they have a good handle on it. That's just me kind of staking and saying that about that point, you've seen whether it's a high speed format or slow speed format, if it's uh, if there's a certain mechanic or archetype that's broken, feels like by the two week mark these days, people tend to know and, and have a good understanding. So I guess I would say I tend to feel comfortable around the two-week mark, which personally for me tends to be around where I've hit 20 to 25 drafts. Yeah,
0: it's actually an interesting question because these days you don't have to draft to get a feel for the format if you're tied mm. into social media at all. I mean, Twitter is a really good place to find, to basically get draft experience through other people. It's it's time consuming to make draft videos and all that kind of stuff. So those typically take longer to to get caught up on. But if you're just like, watching Twitter feeds, people will post their decks all the time and like whether or not they trophied. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of get a lot more drafts in virtually speaking, if you just follow people on Twitter and kind of pay attention to the discourse there. For me, it's probably about the same in terms of time. I actually think that the, I think lately we've seen waves of understanding a format and that there's like a certain understanding that happens week one, even within the first few days where people are like, this is the thing to do. And then there's almost inevitably always a week two plus experience that kind of people are like, oh, wait, this is actually the thing. And here's the the real balance of how the format shakes out. We kind of saw that with MDFCs. I think that's that's the most apparent format we've had that I can remember with this sort of mindset where like MDFCs were like this is the this is the thing. You have to be taking these constantly. And then people were like, well actually maybe we overvalued them slightly, even though most people were still undervaluing them. There was a little bit of a shift there. And we've we've been seeing that, I think. And then like um what was it? Uh Midnight Hunt, the blue black menace was found in the first like three or four days of the format and It just stayed that way. But for me, it's probably like half a dozen drafts to feel comfortable in terms of drafts I've actually done, but it's probably close to the same number Ben said in terms of reviewing other people's drafts mixed with my own.
1: That reminds me about just how we settled on ZNR. People noticed new archetypes multiple weeks into the format, sometimes even like a month and a month and a half in. people talking about, oh, you could play blue green wizards or, or random stuff like that. I th- is Xenar you know, the best draft environment we've had in the last two years? Might be. I feel like it might be my favorite, which which is bizarre to say. I guess I never really thought of it that way. But I think I like the draft formats that are more challenging, ones that don't get solved quite as quickly, or where there are these hidden archetypes. Where honestly, I, I like when I feel uncomfortable with the draft format. Uh, when you go and dive into something new, uh, I find that kind of fun. Again, a plug for Vintage Cube. If you ever want to feel uncomfortable with a format, (laughs) man, I feel uncomfortable with Vintage Cube. I don't know what the right picks are, but that's a fun challenge.
0: Yeah, I found myself being excited about a challenge when I feel I know I can get through it. A lot of times in the past, before we started this show, actually, new draft formats put me off because I didn't know the cards. I didn't have the time or I didn't think I had the time to learn the cards up front. And then mm-hmm. like when I'm seeing a new pack, I'm just like, I don't know what any things these things do. I don't know what I should be trying to build them to. Whereas doing the show has forced me to look at the cards ahead of time and, and find the time to do that. And then when I sit down for the first draft, I'm excited because I know, I know what the pieces are. I may not know what the puzzle looks like yet, but I know what the pieces mm-hmm. are and then I can kind of use them to put the puzzle together. Um, which is why vintage cube scares me a little bit because I don't know the pieces. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pretty, pretty killer analogy there, though. That, that, that's pretty good. I, I, I can tell you the uh, the puzzle that it makes. And it's a, a beautiful, disgusting, value and fun filled image. So uh, I, I recommend it.
0: All right. Well, speaking of putting these puzzles together, one thing that we talk about as limited players and a lot of other content creators talk about are level ups, right? Everybody wants to know how do we get better at this. And one of those things we're trying to approach this year, being that it's it's the new year, are resolutions, things that we can put in place as sort of targets to hit in terms of our limited playing and or skill and or insert value proposition here.
1: I tend to prefer my spells to resolve in Magic. Uh, I know you, you might say the opposite, right? Oh, I prefer my spells to resolve as well. I just don't want yours to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So it, it sounds like everyone prefers their spells to resolve. I like when my my resolutions are nice and smooth, nice and uh, and easy, nice and uncounterable, if you will. There's some copies of uncounterable spells in some of my decks just to spite some of my my blue playing friends, Zach me. It's, uh, it's me. at the head of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but when we make New Year's resolutions here, we should try to make them pretty uncounterable, don't you think? <laughs> yeah I
0: think so. I mean, that's actually one of the biggest problems with New Year's resolutions is that people get all gung- ho about it's a new year. we get this new chance to do everything when really it's just another day. you know, nothing is changed mm-hmm. about you in particular and frankly, we're bad at at building habits. people are bad at setting goals and reaching them if they're not set correctly so we want to walk through a handful of resolutions here actually our top five resolutions for our limited gameplay and or drafting skills through 2022 things we hope to improve on and we hope that uh, you can get something out of this as well and maybe improve your own game as well
1: oh and i think we can hold ourselves accountable now that we're you know putting this out there all these are going to resolve you know
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that whole, the whole building in public thing. Now, now we're on the hook. People are going to call us out if we don't do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Plus I love Veil vale of Summer. Sum- summertime is going to be good. Uh, I'm sure we'll have the summer to check in on all this. This is a a long form pun, I think, but because Veil vale of Summer makes your stuff uncounterable. I genuinely love that card. I don't know why people were all like, oh, you got to ban this. It makes my cryptic commands worse. They're already bad. Get, get them out of here. Wow. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> You should. Uh, Veil vale of Summer was made to spite people like you. <laughs> All right, let's get on with these resolutions.
0: Number one here is to review and reflect on our gameplay. One of the things, I mean, we've talked about this before on the show, but one of the things that we find ourselves doing really frequently is playing games, going through drafts, and then either trophying or not, and then moving on to the next draft, moving on to the next mm-hmm. game. And, well, I guess when you're doing well, that's fine in a, in a way. Like, it feels fine to be doing that. If you're doing poorly, that can cause some tilt and it can be easy to f- snowball into tilt. So taking some time to pause and reflect on your games is a good thing when you're in a losing streak, of course. But we have this amazing data source at our hands in 17 lands and we should be making use of it. I mean, Ben, you you walk through, I mean, you wrote, Ben wrote an article on this for... Card sphere and walk us through what, what what did you find when when you started to think about this resolution in terms of your gameplay?
1: Yeah, so I I decided to do a little bit of digging into my my personal history, and I realized. <sighs> Sometimes I will just play a game and just move on to the next one, and sometimes if there was a key moment in the game that caused me to say, oh, this was the misplay that made me lose, or this was the crucial misplay that made me win from my opponent, uh, or maybe this was the, the attack that I should have made, or something like that, when, when it's obvious... Those stick in your head a little bit, right? But there are those points in every game, and sometimes they're not as obvious, and it might take a little bit of investigation to really uncover what happened and and why the board ended up the way it did. Kind of as an aside, I like thinking about when I'm making and playing a deck, what will the board look like when the game ends? Uh, What should my side look like? What should my opponent's side look like? How should that inform my gameplay? So I decided to go back and look. Uh, I have actually lost well over 1,400 games of Magic in 2021. Uh, so 1,400-ish games of Magic, just losses for me, which is a lot of losses. And honestly, I'm pretty happy that I've gotten to play that many games of Magic. I, I jam Arena a lot. It's one of my favorite games ever made, uh, just to have access to on my PC. When I'm just like, you know, having dinner, having a snack, I'll fire up some games, play some stuff. That's a lot of losses, though. I, I will also mention I won well over 2,000 games, but You know, who's counting? Crunch the number on your own if you want to. Uh, I'm I'm not not ashamed. Uh, But uh, I think those losses, probably around 95% of of those losses and those wins, to be honest, I just go on uh, to the next game. And really only 5% of them are ones where I actually stop. And of those 5%, almost all of them are losses. Because when you win a game, you're just like, yes, next one. <laughs> Let's win again, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a great point. Um, you were talking about some of the
0: things that kind of trigger you to think about checking it at your record or your score or like the, the various games that you've played. One thing I've tried to keep myself in the habit of doing is if I get out of a game, whether it's a win or a loss... Typically, this happens with losses, but it does occasionally happen with wins. I try to catch myself thinking one of two things. If I'm thinking, wow, I don't know how that happened, whether I lost or won, I don't know how I won, or I don't know how I lost, that's a good indicator that you should probably take a second, go back and go turn by turn and figure out what happened in that game. Because if you if you can't figure out why you lost or why you won, well, then it, it really wasn't up to you whether that happened or not. So you should really try to find those reasons because that can be in and of itself a level up. The other thing I like to th- try to catch myself thinking is, I played perfectly. How did I lose? Hmm. Nobody yeah. plays perfectly. If you, think, if you find yourself thinking that, you need to stop, pause, take a second, check that game and find the mistakes because they're there.
1: Mm-hmm. Even rougher is how sometimes you can play perfectly and still lose. You, you might do everything exactly 100% correct and still wind up with a bad outcome. And that is also worth pausing and reflecting on. Uh, going back and looking, hey, did I play this game right? As right as I thought I did? Sometimes you'll find yes, and that you still lost and that that's about when you remind yourself that uh, the pros still lose like 30 to 40% of the games that they play. <laughs> so th- there is some aspect of magic that is that variance. And that's why it's a game, you know? Uh, if there was a player that won 90% of their matches, I-, I think that'd be bad. Yeah.
0: And, you know, it's something else that, that we hear, that I've heard LSV talk about a lot, at least. Uh, I'm sure other pros talk about it as well. And it's something, you know, with at least with game theory or, or logic in general. Right there, given the information you have at any point in time, there is a correct play to make. And whether you make that play or not, you may still find repercussions. Right, you might make the the Mm -hmm. optimal play given the information you knew and it not work out for you, that doesn't mean that wasn't the right play. So that's also worth taking into note when you're observing your games and playing them back. Just because something didn't work out for you doesn't mean it was the wrong play for you to make.
1: Mm, Totally. Uh, Another thing that LSV likes mentioning a lot is luck and his lack of it, which obviously just isn't true, but something that I think about regarding games post-game is luck. It's really easy to focus on the times when you get unlucky uh, and say, oh man, I just had some... Maybe four lands off the top in in the mid game and that really set me back. But I think it's just as important to recognize when you win a game due to luck. When you top deck the perfect card or you you just knock the top of your deck and say, hey, I need I need I need my mythic right now or I just lose. And then you draw it and you go, yep, I win on the spot you should think about that and say okay well what was my odds of that happening you know maybe you set yourself up for that really well but there was some aspect of luck that went into it and just as addressing bad luck can keep you from tilting addressing good luck can help you not get too big ahead yeah it's true
0: um it does keep you in check right not everything is because you're amazing at the game there is an amount of luck involved and that works both for you and against you and you know as humans we're kind of hardwired to remember the negative things more than we are the positive things we you know in psychology they call it the negativity bias it's it's a part of the way that our psyche works and the way that we think and so you are far more likely to remember those bad things that happen to you than the good things and stopping to recognize, you know what? I actually do experience the good things. I'm not unlucky all the time is just good for your mental health in the first place.
1: Uh, this kind of metacognition, I think, is just healthy in general. Just thinking about how you think about things. Uh, this is something teachers have to do a lot and it was a big part of my training. So uh, this is something that, that I have students do all the time. I'll ask them, hey, um, Why did I teach you this in the way that I taught you this? I had some students do this today and they're like, oh, uh, we looked at multiple representations of this thing so we could see it in different ways. And they're like, oh, uh, there is some reason to what this guy is doing. He's not just some man bun goon standing at the front pointing at equations and that kind of thing. Same thing goes with magic. This is a learning experience, right? All right. So our second resolution here is to
0: play spells during our second main phase. And now, obviously, this sounds like a no-brainer, but this is actually one of the toughest things not to do. And I am probably one of the more instant-oriented players you might find. I I tend to play (laughs) decks that don't play creatures. I prefer to draw my card play my land and say go i often play things on main phase one when i shouldn't especially mm-hmm. in limited and every time i do i kick myself i'm like oh why did you do that that was just like, like you just gave them inf- maybe the information only matters for a half a phase or something but like you gave them information <laughs> that they didn't need and yeah. now i i can't represent that trick and i now in my attacks are i'm not gonna be able to bluff this attack or you know whatever there are all these little reasons why you should be waiting as long as possible to play your cards and got to get better at it because I know I'm bad at it.
1: Yeah, this is something that I see on every level of play. I do this and again, I kick myself when I do it too. And hopefully by the end of this little rant, the listener will, will kick themselves when they do this too, because it, it is a bad habit, I swear. Even though it might seem so insignificant in the, in the grand scheme of things. let me Let me walk you through an example. Let's say you're starting a game of limited, just imagine, doesn't matter what set, set agnostic, anything you want. Your opponent's got a 2-drop, you played your 2-drop last turn, uh, they're both just grizzly bears, 2-mana 2, mana two twos, right? You untap, it's your turn 3, your opponent's tapped out, they just played their 2-2. You look at your 2-2 and you're like, alright, my play for this turn is clearly going to be attacking with this 2-2, and then casting this 3-mana three 3-3 three three that I have in my hand. So naturally, uh, you look at your hand and say, oh, I don't have any combat tricks, this is just so easy play the 3-3, attack him with a 2-2. The opponent then gets to decide, all right, well, my opponent is tapped out. Uh, They played their 3-3 for the turn. Do I want to block this 2-2, trade them off, uh, or do I want to just take the two damage? In that, you just gave your opponent a whole lot of agency that you could have removed Now they get to craft their blocking based on their game plan, based on the information that they have and you don't. Uh, For example, they could be a late game deck that's just playing a 2-2 as kind of like an early drop. Or maybe they are an aggro deck and uh, they're not going to trade off. You give them a lot of choice there. One way to lessen the amount of choice they have is by not playing your 3-3, thus tapping you out, during your first main phase. If you go to combat, attack with your 2-2 while still having 3 mana up, Now your opponent has the same options, but they have a little bit of a tougher choice because if their plan is to block, now they have to consider combat tricks. They have to consider blowouts, uh, pump spells, uh, flash creatures, instants, removal, all sorts of stuff. Even instant speed effects on those creatures, triggered abilities, that type of thing. And that, you got for free. You didn't have to pay anything for that. In fact, you got that just because you were smart and didn't play your spell or whatever it is. Now, you don't need a combat trick for this. Maybe you have the trick or the instant or the flash or whatever. Or maybe you don't. They don't know that. In fact, it's better to represent that combat trick. And maybe, I don't know, every limited format has like a a white, one of the white plus two plus two, right? And flying or lifelink or indestructible or something. If you represent that as a possible blowout then your opponent has to respect it for the next several turns. Maybe when they play their 3-3 next turn, and you attack again with your 2-2, then they go, wait a minute, last turn they represented having this potential combat trick. I don't know if I want to block with my higher value 3-3, I'm just going to take the 2 damage. And then you, as the potentially aggressive player, get paid off for getting in for that damage. So, overall... Uh, best to play your spells in the second main phase, if possible, your sorcery speed stuff, your creatures, that type of thing, just because it gives you more mental power over your opponent. It doesn't reveal any information that you don't have to reveal to them yet.
0: Now, there obviously are some exceptions to this. Alluring suitor comes to mind as one of them. A lot of times it was more correct to play that main one. So you could swing in with two other creatures, flip it, get all the benefits of, of having that see two other creatures attack. There are exceptions. But typically, you're giving your opponent way too much information by playing your spells early when you could save that information and kind of craft your game plan around playing them later. And really, what you're trying to do here is manipulate the information your opponent doesn't know, or manipulate Mm -hmm. them based on the information they don't know. So as Ben mentioned, you might not have those tricks in hand, or you might not have a flash creature that can interrupt combat some way, but your opponent doesn't know that. And you want to take advantage of the fact that they don't, because... You know, it's, it's, it's that phrase that we come across all the time is like, show it to me when you, when you're in a position where your, your back is, you know, to a wall and you're, it's either make this move or lose. And I've got to make this move or I lose anyway. Show me, show me the trick. Show me the removal spell, whatever. You kind of want to get your opponents there because then they're desperate and they have to do what they have to do.
1: Yeah. A good general rule is to wait as long as possible to make a certain play. Uh, now, that's the basic level one thing. For example, you might want to wait and use like a combat trick or, or a, a removal spell on your opponent's turn if it's instant speed and, and you have the ability to. But then again, there's also ideas like what if they draw the counter spell or what if they have the protection spell. So th- there's levels to this one as well. But in general, in a case like this, where you do have total control and you are making a play this turn anyway, just wait as long as possible to give your opponent that information that your play this turn is the three mana three three. Because who knows? I think that the better your opponent is, the more they are going to respect these potential combat tricks or blowouts or stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's actually interesting. A lot of times these sorts of higher level concepts are wasted on worse players because worse players don't Mm -hmm. read into them the way that you want them to, they might just ignore it anyway, which is kind of an yeah. interesting aspect of, of magic. Some of these, like the more you level up, some of those level ups only really matter if you're playing leveled up players.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that's why high level magic is so much fun to exactly. watch and play, right? When you have that kind of mental conversation with your opponent, if anyone out there that watches Ristic Studies, fantastic YouTube channel, just put out one uh, about Gifts Ungiven and Frank Karsten's fantastic use of it during the quarterfinals of a pro tour ages ago. Frank Karsten said that Gifts Ungiven is an entire Magic the Gathering game condensed into a single card, uh, which I think is pretty fantastic. Something similar happens here when you have those micro mind games that happen in a single instance where you have to figure out, do they have it? Do they not? Do I respect that? How many levels are they on? This is why people like us like the nonsense of this. We, we, We love this aspect of the game. Next up, resolution number three, using more mana than my opponent. The results are in. Uh, I mean, we've known this forever, right? But the raw data, thanks to some 17 lands, uh... Fantastic data wizardry. Shout out to everyone. Uh, Surkovitz, Hulu, y'all are still doing great work. We now know for sure that there's a correlation between using more mana per turn than your opponent and, you know, doing better <laughs> in the game. That's, that's a pretty powerful statement. So I think we should resolve to find ways to use our mana more efficiently, better, whether that's sequencing or, um, you know, making the best use of the inset mechanics for example, blood, right? Uh, that's been a great way to use your mana efficiently uh, in, in, in Crimson Bow.
0: It's actually a good use of both this resolution and the previous one, where it's often better to crack your blood tokens on your opponent's end step so that you can leverage the card you drew on your turn and you are still representing certain things during your opponent's turn, things like that. But yeah, it's it's true. We always had this sort of intuitive understanding that using more mana than your opponent led to more victories, But we do have the data to back that up now and we've had it for a little while and it's just clear that using as much mana as you possibly can throughout the course of a game increases your likelihood of winning. And so sometimes that might mean playing weaker cards on your turn such that you can play two curve rather than like, hey, I just drew this really bomby four drop. But if I play this card now, I can't sequence my three drop, two drop. Turn five play, and then my sequencing for the rest of the game is off. This happens a lot when you're playing early and you have like you know maybe two one drops and a two drop or something like that, and and you're trying to play out. You know if you play the one drop turn one, then you play the two drop turn two. Now you have like a one drop on turn three that you want to play, but you don't have another two drop to play with it, and then your sequencing kind of gets messed up, and you play you're like wasting two man on turn three. So, you know, sometimes you have to try to play those out. Maybe you wanted to wait, play the two two drops on two, play the two drop and a one drop on three, something like that, and and go from there. So this is just something to kind of keep in mind throughout your games and maybe try it. I, I know uh, Marshall uh, at Limited Resources has challenged people in the past to simply just play such that you tap all your mana every turn and mm-hmm. like kind of ignore any other sort of strategic choices between your cards just play basically like a game of solitaire with yourself or like tap as many lands as you can per turn and see how that does for you. It's an interesting challenge and one that I might actually try to take early this year as well, just to kind of refresh my, my memory as to how powerful it is to use all of your mana and uh, pay attention to that with your opponents. I mean, if your opponents are not tapping out, maybe they're on a back foot.
1: Yeah, there's nothing I like seeing more than an opponent passing through turn three and then passing through my turn and just not using their turn three mana or their turn four mana. Oh, it's so juicy. Just as a as a reminder, we're talking about almost like mana density. Is, is that a good way of describing it? Like density per turn. So I love going two drop, three drop, four drop, five drop. So nothing feels better than that, right? Of course, if you have to do like two drop, three drop, four drop, and then like a two and a three drop or turn five and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's pretty good too. But if your opponent plays a two drop every single turn of the game and that's it, then there's like unused little pockets of their mana density in there that they're just not making very good use of. And according to the, the, the raw data, if you use more of your mana in that efficient way, you're at an advantage to, to win the game just from the way that cards are designed these days, which I think is a good thing. This is a game of resources. Those that manage their resources most effectively should be rewarded.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, that's also why you hear people say so often to leverage your life total. That's another resource that you have available to you that is there to be used. It doesn't matter if you win with 20 or one life, you you still won. So um, likewise with your mana, make sure you're using all of it and do what you can to use it efficiently.
1: Yep. And Wizard seems to be a big fan of printing mechanics that allow you to do this. We mentioned Blood, but Lesson and Learn and Foretell both played into this as well, allowing you flexibility on how you're going to play out your turn and uh, whether you go and go get a different card from your, your lesson plan or one that costs the right amount to use the maximum amount of mana that term uh, or foretells so that you could maybe... Uh, Foretell two cards on turn four and then turn five you have this huge fluster of cards using uh, the cheaper modes of of those cards. Yeah, just uh, lots of cool ways that they've been doing this. And honestly, they don't seem to be slowing down with these designs. I'm excited to see what else we get in, in the ways of this. Cycling, MDFCs, these count too.
0: Yeah, one last thing on this one that I wanted to mention too. We've talked about this in terms of like playing cards out, but pay attention to the activated abilities your creatures have because... Those are also ways to use mana. And we're not talking necessarily about card advantage here. We're talking about mana usage. So if you have a two-drop and you have a creature with four with a four mana activated ability, you know, keep that in mind as well.
1: Totally. Ooh, our next up is is a good one. This is one of my favorites. Draft and play with the same plan. Nonsense. I draft <laughs> with one
0: plan and then I play with a completely different plan.
1: Oh, man. Well, well, that's the thing. Everyone always says to draft with a plan. And then everyone always says play with like a plan or a goal or a mind. Uh, We've even talked about this via vector theory, right? But I think it's understated that they have to be the same plan. This probably deserves an, uh, an entire episode to itself, right? Maybe sh- no, we can't skip this though. It's it's, it's too good. We got to talk about it a little bit.
0: Well, we can do a, do a little bit of a uh, a teaser, and then we can bring it back with a back to basics episode or something later on.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me just give you an example of of a a case that happened to me recently. I was playing a black red mirror in in Crimson Vale. My opponent was in the play, and they got off to a more aggressive start than I did, and I. Went on the back foot. I started blocking, which obviously was my mistake. uh, Because my opponent is dropping these things like uh, Bloodcrate Socialite, Falconwrath Celebrants, these big beefy menace creatures and filtering their hand with blood. Like, they have a very good attacking game plan, but so do I. Like, I drafted a very good uh, black-red aggressive deck. And I asked my deck to do something that it couldn't. I asked it to block well, which the cards just aren't made to do. The vector doesn't point in that direction. It's not like a blue-green butts deck or something. So I asked my deck to do this thing that it didn't want to do, and it fought against me because uh, it wasn't built to do that, you know? My, my cards were not good blockers. So I lost because I pivoted and I didn't do what my deck was made to do. I did not play with the plan that my deck was drafted around. I... Think I almost want to stop there because I do think this this warrants an entire episode. I don't know. Let us let us know in the Discord, like, comment, and subscribe if you think you'd like to hear an entire episode uh, about drafting and playing with the same plan. I'd love to investigate this through vectors.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I 100% agree. You know, the last thing I'll I'll just add here to kind of segue us into the next one, and and we'll leave this kind of on the back burner for a, a future episode keep this in mind when you're when you are drafting that you should be playing with the same plan and if there are clear holes in your game plan when you're drafting you got to keep those in mind when you're playing the game too and and that comes into can my deck pivot that's something that's very Hmm. important it's a why we see most decks and we've seen this actually kind of start to shift a little bit but in the past we'd seen most decks in limited are basically just a variation of mid-range there never were Hmm. really aggressive decks never were really controlling decks they were just slightly more aggressive mid-range decks and slightly more controlling mid-range decks. And one of mid-range's top I guess strengths is that it can kind of pivot relatively well from its original game plan if if it's built right. So something to keep in mind, I mean when you're build when you're drafting your deck and you're stuck between two different cards in a particular pick, well, does this do do either of the cards play into my game plan, which plays better and do either of them allow me to pivot? Like can I can I pivot with this card into something else when I find myself up against a deck that's more aggressive than my aggressive deck. Can I pivot into a mid-rangey sort of thing, in order to stop them and then eventually beat them over the top? Something to consider.
1: Last but not least, probably my favorite resolution, the one I'm looking forward to most: play more Cube. I think out of every Magic format, Cube has the biggest differential in between how often I play it and how much fun it is. You know, like I, I don't get to play cube very often. The the magic online cubes aren't up very often, the magic arena cubes aren't up very often. But I love every single cube draft I do. Like they're just so much fun. It's a unique play experience every time by definition. These these are hand-curated, limited environments. Like th- this should be like crack to people like us. <laughs> it, it kinda is. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I've actually been thinking lately of trying to, you know, with all the extra time that I have trying to build potentially like um, a commander legends cube. Not, not in that it only uses commander legends cards, but is designed to be drafted and played as commander rather than. Yeah. um, Typical limited. I worry that those that a cube like that might get too limiting. Like if you draft a particular legend, you're just like, all right, I know I need to pick up all these extra cards because they're just the best cards to go with this legend. Probably are ways to build the cube such that that doesn't happen. But before I do that, definitely want to spice up the the draft chaff cube and
1: mm-hmm. uh, get that going
0: because we've got uh we've got a bit of work to do on that one
1: yeah, for sure. I'm I'm looking forward to revamping and, and adding and editing some things there. We do have a, a few new butts cards that we have to toss in there, too. Uh, and sure honestly, is. some new spiders as well. But there's something that, that, that I feel like I have to share. I was turned off from Vintage Cube for a really long time. Vintage Legacy, even sometimes the Modern Cube, because of the very high barrier to entry. And uh, I'm not talking about the brutal magic online economy, which is actually much, much nicer than... The, the arena economy, it's, it's not bad at all. And in fact, the if you trophy, I think you, I don't know, you get back enough for two drafts or two more or something like that. If you go 2-1 in the Vintage Cube, you can re-enter. That, that's all that I need, <laughs> you know. But the biggest problem is that it is a very high informational barrier to entry. Which is that, like you mentioned earlier, if you don't know the pieces, it's hard to put the puzzle together, right? So just because I don't know a lot of the strong cards or the strong interactions... When you have a new standard set come out, people, you, you can tell what the, what the strong cards are. People took one look at Avonbrook Caretaker and said, yep, that's a pack one, pick one. But when you open a vintage cube, there could be 15 mythics in the pack. <laughs> like, or, uh, and, and the best part is that there could be 10 mythics and five commons, and one of the picks, the correct pick might be a common. You know,
0: yeah, and then you have th- you have packs where it's like, well, I open two Moxen in this pack, and there's also a Jace, and there's also like yeah. a Sword of Fire and Ice, and like all these other cards that y- you hear from like Magic's history. That you're like, these are all amazing. I should be taking all of these. What am I? How am I supposed to make a decision here?
1: Mm-hmm. The coolest thing is that because the power level is so high. And I have to say, relatively flat across the board, they did a good job balancing these. They're always cycling cards in and out from the new sets. Halana and Elena is seeing some some good play uh, and actually getting some praise in the vintage cube. Uh, they've they've really held their uh, their own despite being surrounded by these high powered cards. Because the power level is is relatively flat across. I mean, every color, every archetype is is pretty well supported and can win the game. You kind of get to do what you want which is cool. If you feel like going and saying, hey, I'm going to like, oh, I opened a good red card. I'm feeling like playing mono red today. You can just take mono red cards and uh, find your lane, of course. You know, don't just draft forcing things willy nilly. But if you say, oh, I want to do like a lands pile, I had a, a green-white lands control deck with, like, Strip Mine and Crucible of Worlds, uh, just... Oh, and Fast Bonds, which, uh, of course, that's a brutal combo where you just, you know, Strip Mine down all of your opponent's lands and they can't win. I was playing Armageddon in that deck and Planeswalkers and Ramp. Oh, so good. But I made that because I just spotted the little interactions of, wait a minute, I have a Courser of crucifix and I have a Fast Bond. I can take the Strip Mine... Oh, and then I can play it from my graveyard using this card. Oh, and then I can gain life off the lands from this. Oh, and then I can, and so on and so on. It allows for a lot of cool micro-building synergies. And honestly, I think it's an experience that, that every limited uh, enjoyer should try. Uh, whether you need to practice or do some research beforehand, I recommend watching a lot of uh, like LSV and Marshall and, and Reed and all the, all the greats. Watch them draft vintage cube. Look at what they do. Maybe, maybe don't watch one of LSV's storm ones. Sometimes he goes off the deep end. But just watch someone draft mono green or, or mono white or mono red or one of these like teamer piles, and uh, you'll learn a lot and you'll get a good example just from watching an expert.
0: Yeah, LSV's Storm drafts in Vintage Cube are extremely deceiving. He makes those decks look like a dream to pilot, and they are not. <laughs> They're not easy.
1: I think the all-time favorite Vintage Cube deck I've ever seen was LSV's Mono Black Storm Reanimator. Descriptions genuinely can't do it justice. It was reanimating Grizzle Brands to draw seven to storm off with Yogwill. Like, oh my god, just... And then, like, Tendrils of Agony to, to win the game. Just unimaginably stupid stuff. I recommend looking up that one, too. But maybe uh, maybe don't model your, your personal drafting off that one unless you're also, like, a vintage expert. But like I said in the beginning of the show, uh, just getting to play with some of these high-powered cards. When you open a Mox or a Soul Ring or a Mana Man Vault or something like this, or something like Channel it's just so much fun. I highly recommend the experience, especially right now where arena is getting a little stale. I'm not in for too many more drafts of vow, but I will say the arena cube for the decathlon finals. Oh man, that's going to be a good one. I expect if, to see some lists for me for that.
0: I wonder if they're going to publish the the cube list before the finals. I would imagine it's a different arena cube than the last one we saw. They typically will make changes Every time they release it to to the platform, same with vintage cube, like they, they are cycling cards in and out depending on what sets are popular and what cards are seeing play. So I imagine it's going to be a different arena cube than anybody's played thus far. So hopefully they release the list. I, I don't, do you, do you prep for cubes that way? Cause that's how I approach drafting these days is I, I'm doing set reviews and stuff and looking through all the cards in the set. Do you approach cubes that way or you just, you just jam some drafts and you'll learn it as
1: you play it. I found that for Arena Cube, I have a high enough knowledge of the cards in it that I'm able to just kind of jam it. There's certain tenets that I that I look for. Maybe we could have a whole episode on this sometime, too, if people are interested. But things like card advantage or high impact creatures, uh, if it's the best card in a set, it's going to be worth taking in Vintage Cube or, or uh, not in, in Arena Cube, that is. If it's a a limited bomb in any way, shape, or form, like Avbrook Caretaker still going to be awesome in Arena Cube. It's going to be worse because it's a 6-drop and uh, people are going to be playing these aggressive strategies. But it's I feel pretty comfortable just going into it. And I will say for the first two iterations of Arena Cube, I pretty much forced Red-Green because no one else was on it. And I had something stupid. It was like a 78. Or 75% win rate with, uh, with red green in that. Do you remember? I, I think I made like 80,000 gold in like oh, two weeks. it was weeks.
0: ridiculous. Yeah, it was it, a ridiculous win rate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping I get to do that again, but they, they made blue and white decks better. Whatever. They added control cards for, I don't know. I don't know who likes that stuff, but... <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Yeah, anyway, um, very excited for, for some cube action this year. And I, I honestly would like to have uh, my own copy of the Draft Draft Cube by the end of the year. Yeah, that'd be sweet. I think I, I would like to do that as well.
0: Cool, well, that does it for us. So just to kind of to recap, our resolutions here are review and reflect on your gameplay. Play spells during your second main phase or really play spells as late as possible to get the effect that you expect from them. Resolution three is to use more mana than your opponent or to use your mana as efficiently as possible resolution four is to draft and play with the same game plan and resolution five play more cubes that does it for us this week thanks so much for listening of course check out the discord if you're not in it already we're going to be kind of highlighting some of these resolutions throughout the year keep ourselves accountable as well as the other folks in the discord so check that out the link to that's in the episode description as well as on our twitter page And if you want to support us, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash DraftChaffPod. Once again, we super, super appreciate the support there and wouldn't be doing this without you guys. So thank you so much for our patrons. If you want to find us outside of the Discord or contact us on social media, you can find us both on Twitter. Ben is at Betafish1. I am at at Hackett, and the show is at DraftChaffPod. Thanks again and happy new year,
1: folks. See you later. So I've been getting back into the Magic Online sphere, which honestly, just Magic Online, ugh. I, I wish we could just make it look like Arena. It'd be so much better. But yeah, it, it, it exists for a reason, and there's good stuff you can do on there. For those that might, you know, just want to kind of get their feet wet with Magic Online, when you have a new account, you get a bunch of new player tokens or points or something. I don't know what they're called. You can use them to enter one specific tournament. Uh, it's a little gauntlet for new players where you enter and you get one of, I want to say like seven or eight randomized modern decks. You don't get to keep the cards or anything. It's it's kind of a limited event, actually. Uh, but they just give you a 60-card, 15-card sideboard modern deck and you play three matches with it against other people that have entered this, this tournament. Uh, decks include Mill, uh, Mono White, Flicker, uh, mono-red burn, blue-white control, uh, there's probably a green deck in there somewhere, I don't know, uh, and Tron. Uh, but the deck that I actually had a lot of fun playing, blue-red storm, which you wouldn't expect to be uh, maybe my, my go-to. I had some fun with uh, with Tron playing the, the Tron, it's an Eldrazi Tron build, playing uh, just reality smashers and end bringers. It, it's a pretty fun deck. Uh, especially wow. when you get to just absolutely dunk on uh, your opponent with with uh, Endbringer. Uh just, man. So, some of those cards are a lot of fun. Wow. Uh, but
0: Ben just admitted on like in public on the podcast <laughs> that he enjoyed playing not only Tron but Eldrazi.
1: Okay, I, I'm guilty. I have to admit, I've never, I had never experienced uh, playing. I never experienced natural Tron. Where, where you just have the three different Tron lands in your hand in the beginning of the game. And then you look at your hand and you say, oh, I just have seven mana on turn three. Like, oh my god, I get it now. This is why people love the deck. You have seven mana on turn three. That's an Endbringer with like a, a counter backup. Or like Endbringer with, uh, not, not Endbringer, you can hard cast an Endbringer like that. But that's like a reality smasher with a removal spell up. Like, that's stupid. Um, or just or, or, for, Yeah, or just a <laughs> massive Planeswalker or something. Ugin, the Ineffables in that deck, uh, a nice little inclusion. Uh, it was playing a one-of Sky Sovereign uh, flagship, which I thought was pretty fun. The the decks are not optimized. Uh, they're, they're they're just kind of built to fight against each other. The blue-black mill deck, I think, is the worst of them. Uh, but I, I had a lot of fun, like I said, with Blue-Red Storm, which is a very functional Blue-Red Storm deck. Uh, four Barals, four Goblin Electromancers, and then uh, I, I felt a little bit of pride because I remember doing this on my first Moto account. I made a new one recently because I, I just the old one I'd lost all the login information, everything. I remember doing this maybe like two or three years ago, and I just lost every match with Blue Red Storm. I had no idea how to play. it. I had no idea what I was doing. This time around, uh, I think I finished two one with it. Um, I, I was I was pretty happy with how it went, and I don't know when, when you grave shot your opponent for a million, it feels pretty good. Uh I don't know if I don't know if I'm if I'm gonna be building Storm personally, but maybe uh, maybe a new Commander deck is in the works. Who knows? We'll see.
0: Interesting. I actually used to play almost exclusively Is it decks in Commander, and I took them all apart for one reason or another, but I have been wanting to build a counterburn deck. Maybe Commander is hmm. the place to do that, but I feel like that would be absolutely awful in Commander, because that's the type of deck that does really well against one opponent, but pretty terribly against more than one. So, yep. I don't know. Maybe I have to build modern Counterburn.
1: Counterburn versus Storm. Sounds like a really fun and interactive matchup.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs>